0: What's up, everybody? I'm back with another edition of the Macro Insights Podcast where I'm joined by Shane. Shane LTM is what he goes by on uh, Clubhouse and all other mediums because he's got a very long last name. We'll get into that a little bit at the end. But Shane is my go-to for all things real estate. He talks to a bunch of real estate investors, uh, agents, brokers, anything you can think of all over the country. So he has a great, great insight on everything that is going on in the entire country. So we get a breakdown of the overall real estate market: short term, long term, medium term rentals, uh, the varying degrees of all over the country. And uh, you know, he provides some great insights. And if you're listening on the audio version, he even gives a little preview on the video. So go on to my YouTube, and you can check out where uh, his current Airbnb in Colorado is, right outside of Denver. You can see the great view and whatnot at the end. Uh, but as always, ladies and gentlemen, if you are listening on any sort of audio platform where you can subscribe, please, please, please do that. Subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Give it a five-star rating. Give it a boost on Fountain or any of these, you know, podcasting 2.0 apps. It's greatly appreciated, and it helps the show grow. Uh, the more you listen, the more you share around it. It allows me to bring on some great guests. And as always... Please remember that this is not financial advice. Everything you hear in this podcast is strictly for entertainment purposes only and should not, not, not be taken as financial advice. Now, let's get into the show. Whoosh! What's up, everybody? I'm back with another edition of the Macro Insights Podcast, and I'd like to thank everybody listening on any podcasting 2.0 apps such as Fountain and Streaming Me Sats. I really do appreciate it. And Remember, to help the show grow, I'd really appreciate it if you like the video, if you're watching on YouTube, and subscribe to my YouTube channel, or subscribe wherever you get podcasts so I could keep bringing quality guests and bring a, some great insights in a bunch of different industries to you. But I have a very special guest. He's been on the Twitter spaces a few times, and I, he's going to start coming back a lot more. He He's kind of migrating over from the uh from the clubhouse realm over to twitter spaces but i've got shane my resident real estate expert i don't know where he went he just walked away real quick i'm not sure if he went to go grab something or whatnot but there he is
1: sorry brother i had a pin fall and kind of roll out of thing and i was like oh he's gonna say my name any second and i'm chasing a pin over here no Um,
0: but we got shane man how you doing good brother how are you doing i'm doing well i'm For those who haven't heard you on the spaces or heard you, um, you know, in Clubhouse or anything else, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, how you got here today?
1: Uh, yeah. So, guys, I'm a single family investment consultant, one to four, five to 50. Also, I'll evaluate LP positions. Um, have been building a virtual community um, and doing a lot of masterminding through Clubhouse. Uh, some are real estate professionals and experienced and seasoned investors and others are just uh, people that are wanting to get in the space. The reason I say that for context, it's sure it's allowed me to have people that have gotten to know me through social audio spaces, uh, connect with me meaningfully and share insightfully what's going on in their markets. So I'm kind of guiding them to understand better their investment strategy, but also how to leverage uh, where their financial position with their market. And through that, it just keeps expanding um, my ability to understand what's going on nationwide. so yeah that's kind of a a quick intro so i'm a real estate gun for hire Uh, when you are uh, an accredited investor or if you're an established uh, kind of tier two investor where you've been doing this for several years and you've got good cash flow Um, I specialize more in lifestyle investments, legacy investments, and people that are going to do out-of-state capital placement or if they just kind of want a mystery shopper to make sure that that LP position that they're considering for syndication is going to go well. And as a result of that, it takes me around the country. Um, It also has relationships around the country, and we've actually got a couple clients internationally that are doing stuff here in the States. And so it gives me a unique perspective, but also knowing guys like Brandon and having been introduced to him by people like Bobby J and Neely, um, just a fascinating uh, group of people that I've been able to connect with throughout Corona through social audio spaces like Clubhouse and Twitter spaces and get to know, you know, how other experts in their different lanes are seeing the crossover areas of real estate and the economy and bonds and debts and, and corporate and everything of that nature.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I and I think, you know, the reason I want to have you on here today is to to get more of like an overview on how real estate has been going in the, as far as this first quarter in this year because I feel like since corona there's been kind of the, you know, you know, the initial decline and whatnot, but it seemed like everybody kind of rushed to, you know, maybe get their single family home. The interest rates were extremely low, but now we have the Federal Reserve raising interest rates and other things like that. So, you know, why don't you, I guess, kind of explain the the housing cycle that we've kind of gone through the past two-ish years um, and uh, yeah, yeah, what you're kind of seeing through Q1 of this year.
1: Well, first thing I told Brandon is we're going to do several of these because there's just no way I could lay out all of the proper framework over one conversation. But if we're gonna kind of dial into some key factors for this first conversation to a new audience, those of you that have been following me in other social media spaces, forgive that you're gonna hear some things that seem a little bit redundant, but hopefully we'll throw some new twists into the conversation today to make it interesting for you. Um, The first backdrop I wanna point out is, every MSA has an equity runway. Um, That is how it's performing. That's how it's growing. Um, And when you look at, um, well, let me, let me, let me dial back. So when I first got onto Clubhouse, um, after figuring out what it was, like all of us were, I started finding myself in spaces with other real estate agents, professionals, investors, syndicators, um, big equity, private equity, you know uh, mid-cap placement size funds just all kinds of different things and uh, we were having fascinating conversations and two things were new to us number one the, the the technology of social audio; number two was this very collaborative curiosity to see what was going on because corona was impacting everything economically and obviously that was going to come down and settle a lot with real estate so we were all having these very collaborative conversations to figure some stuff out so Someone who's kind of focused on several states and uh, probably a dozen MSAs over the last uh, you know several years started to really be able to understand uh, what was going on nationally. And one of the biggest things I learned early on um, when I started my journey, uh, kind of did a pivot about 10 years ago was there's a huge difference between the Midwest and the West. Um, and it's not just culture, even real estate is a huge difference. If you look at the four corners and the way they've grown, especially Utah, Arizona, and Colorado, um, they, you know, have had a total different trajectory, which has made that equity runway um, very unique. So as far as appreciation, market rent, all of those things going up dramatically, you've seen Colorado, Utah, even Idaho now, uh, Montana's really come onto the scene. You've seen a lot of the mountain states Um, have strong appreciation, increasing, uh, you know, uh, rental situations and all that. Now, what was going on in the Midwest and in the Northeast is as a result of what happened in the global financial crisis, uh, a lot of neighborhoods were beat up pretty badly, and it was taking them a long time to come back on track, you know, within less than six to 12 months, when we kind of officially got out of the global financial crisis, Colorado was just off and running. And it's one of the reasons that it was kind of ranked in the top 10 categories for most real estate stuff for the last 10 years. It's It's been pretty dominant in a lot of categories because a lot of what had affected and impacted the Northeast and Midwest just didn't affect Colorado as much coming out of it. the global financial crisis affected everybody. I lost a lot of real estate. Um, my business kind of shut down during that time. I had a mortgage broker that was kind of creating a real estate investing firm fill around it. And um, nobody's not, not a lot of people survived uh, a couple of years there, but once we came out of that uh, it started creating an equity runway and different parts of the country were, coming up to speed in different ways and so uh when you got into corona uh, that was a big factor so like you take markets like portland seattle and denver they were really ready for some correction and the reason that it didn't come to them was because interest rates that were dropped to help you know it's come out of corona really spurred on growth uh, that was not healthy in a lot of ways um, we were ready to correct our values or at least pause Um, and slow down. And all of a sudden, you're buying a $500,000, $600,000 house, and you couldn't have bought a $400,000 house. And so that gave people that were coveting the next neighborhood over or the neighborhood up the ability to go in and get that for the same price because interest rates had spurred that on. Um, As a result of that, it created a frenzy across the country. Uh, Some of those markets, like Denver, are already seeing pullbacks and little micro-bubbles in different neighborhoods that are kind of popping because Uh, there wasn't really a very good, um, uh, I don't know, backdrop for those uh, neighborhoods to keep going up in price. I mean, we have done really well as an economy, but we can't necessarily sustain the prices and uh, rents that were coming to our market. So there's a kind of a come to Jesus moment for those of you that can recognize that uh, language Uh, for a lot of the country. Some people were just hitting their stride during Corona and they'll continue to grow and they haven't seen They've seen a slowdown because of rates, but they, there's really high demand. And other people are really coming to a reckoning of either a pause, a correction, or maybe even in some cases what seems to be a little bit of a mini crash. So um, I think however you want to dial into the last two and a half years, we can. But that's something important to kind of recognize is the different places that different cities and metro areas were in before we even got to Corona. And now as a result of kind of a market shift, how they're reacting to interest rates and of course the most recently bank conundrum. So go ahead, brother.
0: Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, all that is is interesting and a great kind of like overview as to where we've gotten and where we're, you know, potentially going, but um, you know, just like kind of anecdotally I'm starting (laughs) to notice it here in Tampa where I'm at. So, um, you know, I, I have, I live on this street, and they had two homes for sale starting in November, I believe, of last year. One was completely finished and redone, and that one sold almost immediately. Um and the other one had needed some work, and it's still on the market. They've dropped the price, I believe, by like eighty five thousand dollars. and um it's still up still up for sale. So I imagine like that's kind of the scenario you know, now that we're getting, uh, you know, along these lines where houses are kind of more on the market for longer, dropping in price. And, uh, you know, because those monthly payments are going up. Do you think that that's kind of a trend that's going to continue based on, you know, what we're kind of seeing around? Or do you think that, you know, because we're having maybe less buyers, maybe less people kind of coming in for, you know, maybe their first, actual like home or maybe their first uh, investment property where uh, having a lot of those, you know, senior did investors who have a lot of cash maybe on the side or something like that, that they're going to start swooping in and getting these homes for a little bit lower than uh, than expected.
1: <laughs>
0: All of the above. Um,
1: <laughs> there was a very interesting article that I'll focus on a little bit in some of the stages that I have coming up in Clubhouse and Twitter review um, called what was, a, you know, what America's Biggest Cities Look Like 100 Years Ago. It was by John Harrington. Fascinating. If anybody out there knows John, uh, reach out to him. Tell him that I've done a lot of um, indirect research off of his article and that I put boots on the ground in 70 MSAs in two years, and I'd really just love to have a conversation with the guy. Um, But one of the things that was pointing out was a working thesis that I've had on a national narrative for a long time, which is America's really quite officially divided into five to seven different um, paces and, you know, kind of uh, trajectories. Um, For lack of better description, a lot of times on Clubhouse or sometimes on Twitter spaces, someone will hear me say, hey, uh, you know, be aware of whether you're in a no growth, slow growth or strong growth market. That's just a quick way to give context to What applies in Los Angeles doesn't apply in Denver. It doesn't apply in Nashville, Tennessee. It doesn't apply in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, Grand Island, Nebraska. Um, You know, I actually haven't been to L.A. in quite a while, but I've been to both San Diego and San Francisco in the last little while. And, um, you know, when I go there, I focus on uh, transitional urban edges. And I also focus on the city line to see what growth really looks like. The reason I see that in context to some of your question is, you know, that article did a great job of showing cities that were in their heyday 40, 50, 60 years ago and now are back to sizes that are where they were 100 years ago. It's pretty crazy. Um, So when you look at a Chicago, a Detroit, a Philadelphia, you don't see a lot of growth. Those are no growth or negative growth markets. Um, And if you look at a Denver or an Atlanta or Seattle, just phenomenal growth. So there's no way to put a strong growth market um into the same place as a no growth market you just mentioned tampa so the carolinas and tampa have been probably some of the hottest markets this last year Uh, tennessee i think is cooling down a little bit um, compared to where they were but still really good situations and so when you look at you know a lot of what's going on and what we'll call north and central Florida along the coastlines, when you look at what's going on in the Carolinas, um, you know, Texas experienced phenomenal growth, but it's slowed down compared to where it was. What is it that drives or pushes those factors in place? Um, I want to quickly bring in another article that was an opinion piece by The Wall Street Journal, Uh, We did a very interesting stage. Uh, I have a club called Dream Team that was co-founded by myself and JM. And uh, really, we just don't mess around with who we let up there to have a conversation with. They have to be an expert, luxury real estate, big real estate, an operator. They have to know their stuff. And uh, we did a stage on that Blue Exodus uh, article. And Lee Brown, who's the vice president for the National Association of Realtors, was pointing out a lot of interesting policies that NAR. Uh, was having to deal with with the DOJ, you know, um, and a lot of lawsuits that were going on. So there's the the legislation that's going on with realtors right now that's going to change the industry. But then there's a lot of what that article pointed out was a lot of local legislation that has really kind of inhibited meaningful economic growth for places like New York, California, Philadelphia. So when you have places like Florida, Arizona, Texas, Colorado has been relatively moderate so far we have some problems on the horizon. I hope that go in our direction for landlord friendliness um, that have been landlord friendly and investor friendly. um, That favors them dramatically. The other thing, weather, you can't help the fact that, you know, as much as I love Rocky and Philadelphia, it's a cold place. I'm getting ready to go there, um, you know, at the end of this month. And I'm glad I wasn't going there in February. (laughs) So uh, it's uh, one of those situations where, you know, uh, just, just weather winters you know more you know they, it's ironically there's about 20 to 25 percent people depending on the consumer service that you look at out there that do want a winter where they live but that still leaves 80 to 85 percent fit not so um you know obviously weather is favoring that along with friendly landlord situations and the one thing that we need to add to this narrative is what i will call equity rich capital so you know if i bought a house in a nice neighborhood in denver you know, ten years ago for two hundred thousand dollars, um, it's possible that house is worth a million dollars. Maybe I put eighty to one hundred fifty thousand dollars of upgrades. Maybe I put Sub Zero Wolf appliances in there. But the house on its own merit went up almost you know four to four and a half times without any upgrade. And so, if I'm selling that million dollar house last year during Corona or the year before, and I'm going down to Tampa where you're at, I can buy that same caliber house for probably half the price now. If I did that like two to three years ago, I could have bought it for like a third the price. Um, So imagine what that looks like when Equity Rich Capital decides that it wants to relocate. We already had the baby boomers that were retiring, but during Corona, we had a lot of people that were uh able to all of a sudden after six to 12 months of not being called back to the office they were just able to move wherever they wanted to and work from home so you know when you look at that pipeline those are three of the four or five big things that impacted uh, who was coming and why you know the supply was not keeping up with the demand
0: all right yeah so that's great on you know the supply and the demand of the overall housing um, but I kind of want to get into like the, the rental markets and a little bit like dive into there because I think that's kind of a curious point too. That's almost like, I guess, I guess sideways affiliated to, to uh, you know, the overall prices of homes and other th- other things like that. So, you know, as far as like long-term rent goes, um, you know, in places like Tampa, it seems like it's skyrocketed, right? I mean, I moved here four years ago, so anecdotally, I was renting an apartment that was, I believe like sixteen hundred or something like that when I first started renting it, and then when I left a year later, it was like seventeen. And now it's that same apartment. It's a single bedroom, you know, home. It's in a nice location, but it's now renting for like twenty four to twenty five hundred. Um, so we're seeing like a lot of you know rental boom in a lot of these areas. But I'm hearing in you know areas like maybe like Philly or New York or Boston where people are kind of moving away, we're not seeing that kind of rental. I guess boom, maybe maybe rent is going down, but um, you know, we, we, I am seeing you know some friends that their, their, their lease is coming up, and you know although the rents have skyrocketed, um, they are kind of leveling out here. So is that something that you guys are kind of noticing as well that you know, with the, these home prices kind of going down and stabilizing, that is also kind of bringing down the rental market?
1: You hope so. And in some parts of the country, that's happening quickly. Um, part of the fall depends on how um, real the rise was, right? Um, was that just a hot air balloon that was creating, you know, this massive inflation of, of uh, you know, appraised value and rent? Or were there real economics behind why those rents were going up, uh, why those prices were going up? Um, it's funny that you said Tampa, and I know you're down there. But for a little bit of context, most of the names that I'll be mentioning are top, top 1% in their industry by production, extremely well-respected in their backyards. If people don't like them, it's usually because they're jealous. Um, But Amanda Dahl um, is down there in that Tampa area. And uh, someone I became... Uh, good buddies with on Palace. We share a lot of virtual stages. And I remember her coming to a Dream Team stage um, that uh, Joseph and Glenda and Jim, I think, were there. And we were having conversations about some of this. And um, one of the things that was super interesting was she was just talking anecdotally, her own personal rent, um, you know, and how it had just skyrocketed. And having had meaningful conversations on the app, knowing Michigan, West Michigan, a little bit like I do, knowing Denver pretty well like I do, uh, having had confirmation in the mid-luxury and luxury space from a good friend, Chris Davis, who really dominates there, Glenda Baker in Atlanta, we're in strong growth markets. And West Michigan is an okay growth market. It's not a... It's it, uh, Grand Rapids is, is a very unique city that's really coming, coming on in the Midwest, um, but it's not quite... Uh, it doesn't have the math to be a strong growth, maybe an okay or good growth, but it definitely is is counter most of the Midwestern cities and their trends. The reason I say that is uh, when you when I was hearing stories about Tampa and Carolina, it was just blowing me away. And my concern there was just because you're getting the rent today doesn't mean two things. Number one, it doesn't mean that the way you underwrote the renter, because a lot of times in property management, they'll just do three, three and a half times rent. So someone has $1,000 worth of rent and they make $3,000, $3,500 a month then they're like, okay, you can come in. Well, that that's not a very uh, sophisticated way of underwriting a, a renter. Uh, a good people will actually take into consideration the car payment, the debt, the student loan obligations. Our dear friend Neely has talked about how those student uh, loan obligations were not being performed on for a long, long time, and they were gonna re-enter the market. So what does that do to someone's affordability or their other availability to afford the rent that they've been put into? So the second piece of the puzzle is outside of perhaps poor underwriting. Um, there's a lot of newly formed syndication that went out and bought multi-units that didn't know what they're, that it was doing. And they definitely didn't plan for the interest rates. It didn't plan for this kind of a market. They kept thinking things are gonna go up, up, up. Um, that doesn't also tell you about the performance. So you can get you know hundred people in at three you know to to rent something for a thousand or two thousand dollars a month but what if you're having to evict you know 10 20 of them in the next uh you know six to 12 months what if you have to evict another five to ten percent of them in the six to twelve months following that you know a lot of syndications built on cap rates and margins they don't have the ability to navigate that kind of disoccupancy and that kind of non-performance in their book um it puts them in a very you know uh compressed situation and there's a lot of syndication that's failing right now because it wasn't well underwritten and it bought aggressively or it bought um ignorantly i guess would be the best way to say uh some of the the syndicators that we collaborate with and a lot of conversations on on uh clubhouse which hasn't happened a lot in the last several months um had exits so you're the new guy coming in and you're paying the premium for the old uh, or kind of newer but not too new guy coming out and so they had exit to those people and uh, in offline conversations or sometimes publicly they've often said that they had doubts um, about uh, how the people went about to you know kind of come in and buy that property Um, now when they sold to a bigger institutional group um, you know they're usually they're much more professional and the reason i say that is you don't want there to be a collateral damage of a ton of renters out there that uh, their living situation drops dramatically because there just wasn't very good um underwriting to acquire the property in the first place so um i think because of syndication and i also think because of just main street landlords uh have who have pushed the envelope for um you know what rents can be like um they're coming back down Uh, you see a lot of the older. And uh, probably mid season landlords, five to 10 years, a little bit of equity, a little more cash flow. They haven't been pushing that as much. They've been just leaving good tenants in place. But you had a lot of new landlords that needed to push those to pencil or to kind of justify the leap of faith that they were taking to risk into the market. And I think they're going to
0: struggle. So when you talk about underwriting and doing a synd- syndication in multifamily, you know, I, I think the maybe the maybe the average person that, that listens, it's, it's give or take if they really understand the differences between, you know, maybe a 30-year fixed here in the United States and what it takes to, you know, go through a syndication. So, you know, why don't you, I guess, break down those differences and, you know, why maybe the underwriting for a multifamily deal in a syndication is so important?
1: Yeah. So I guess what I'll say here is, you know, for me and my clients and a lot of what I'm doing, I'm now kind of focused on the top 100 uh real estate markets by cash flow and the top 100 real estate markets by performance Um, and within those i personally favor either a c plus neighborhood that will go to a vendored rent tenant so something like section 8 or veteran housing affair in west michigan you might have a bethany housing or west michigan catholic uh charities um and and, or i'll go more to a b or a b plus neighborhood a lot of times on the investment side um, we like to grade things a through f and I always want a A minus, you know, B plus grading if it's a bigger city because I don't want just A in somewhere like Atlanta. I want to know if it's like A, A minus, B plus. The reason I say that is um, that's a place where I feel like there's going to be safety. Section 8 renters are always looking for good places. If you can be a good tenant, I mean, if you can attract a good tenant that is, has fully vendored rent by the government, That's going to be fine. It's the stuff below that and the stuff in between that and the B-plus that's going to struggle. The B-plus stuff in popular neighborhoods, in popular cities, is always high demand. Uh, People want to be in those neighborhoods. They're usually transforming. Uh, Neighborhoods like here in Colorado might be like Highlands, which has been really popular the last 10, 20 years. I'm actually sitting in Rhino. There's a little thing here in the back with this Airbnb of one of my clients. You can kind of – let's see here. (laughs) There's a little rhino on the moon back there, and that stands for, um, you know, the River North Point District here in Denver, dramatically transforming. People want to be in these kinds of neighborhoods. They want to be in Ottawa Hills or they want to be in Heritage Hills and Grand Rapids, maybe the northwest side. Um, So those neighborhoods are doing well. It's everything in between the C plus and the B minus that you have to worry about. And it's everything below C plus as far as rental concerns, as far as neighborhoods taking step backwards, losing value, as far as rents you know, kind of imploding, because what most people don't under, realize is how much the typical landlord and property manager in a probably C plus or B minus neighborhood or lower, they're at the front line of really helping that neighborhood curate stability. If you have tenants running amok in a neighborhood, then crime is going to fester. And if crime can develop, then the neighborhood starts going backwards, right? Um, and if, that, if crime becomes goes backwards, schools go backwards, all the magic indicators that you need for a neighborhood to go well, start to work against you. So I look at that from the standpoint of what we're focusing on to invest in. And then I'm worried about the things that can't give us either upside or safety or both, as far as what we're trying to put our capital into. When you talk about the syndication, um, it's just a lot of people that didn't execute right. They didn't do things right. Um, they didn't pencil the properties it's really not been too expensive for most people to have me evaluate LPs because if I know a good syndicator, I'll tell them, if I don't know the syndicator, but I know the, the what should be the going rent rate and what should be the going situation for that area, you know, I'm able to turn those around in like 20 minutes to two hours and just say, don't do it, or yeah, it's gonna be a good fit for you because it really starts out with good rent and the tenant if they're not using good screening processes, processes, and if they didn't do enough value add, what we call value add in the business, to the property, um, to you know upgrade the facilities, the amenities, make it look nicer, uh, then they're going to struggle to keep a good tenant. And those are the most dangerous situations. I mean, they just start to become overrun with crime and blight. You start to have more problems with things like bed bugs. I mean, realistically, and insects. And then once things like that hit an asset, it spreads like plague through the whole asset, and that becomes a problem. So when you didn't take meaningful consideration of getting the right tenant and doing the right things to the asset to avoid those things, you're going to have a lot of problems on the back end with those things.
0: Yeah, I got you, and that makes a lot of sense. You know, just kind of you uh, properly vetting the tenants, and maybe like the the lack of experience is kind of kind of bite you in the butt here, especially you know as things get a little bit tighter with inflation, interest rates getting higher. You know, obviously, you know people might start to lose jobs as unemployment goes up, student loan debt. You know, the the, the list goes on, on on potential issues that that can come. Or- come arise here. But, you know, that also leaves me with the question as, you know, you're sitting in an Airbnb right now. Right. So, I mean, I'm trying to get an overview of like both long-term and short-term rentals because it seems like from, you know, I guess just that, the voice on Twitter, I don't know if you've been around enough, uh, long enough to kind of hear, but they're blaming a lot of these, you know, the the inflated housing prices on Airbnbs because people were coming in and kind of fixing them up or, or whatever. And, you know, maybe the general consensus around Airbnbs is the, the quality is kind of going down um, compared to, you know, maybe just a generic hotel. Maybe some people have had some bad experiences here or there. But, you know, I still think in some strong markets like, you know, Denver or Tampa or where people are going to be traveled, they're still going to be looking for maybe some of these unique experiences. So, you know, what is your overall outlook kind of on Airbnb now, Um, and are you seeing kind of a dip down opposed to, uh, you know, maybe the, the boom that we've been seeing because people are going back into the office and maybe, uh, having less of those vacation days and traveling around like that. Yeah.
1: Um, sorry guys. I am so like not used to being on video here and I don't, I don't like it, but I did it for Brandon. Um, I I will get this all figured out next time as far as a better room and a better situation. The, uh. The short-term legislation has moved through the country like rapid fire. I said this about two years ago on Clubhouse. I told some clients three years ago offline. I was like, I'm really worried about how fast. I've never seen real estate legislation move through the country so fast. Why does that matter? Well, people are complaining, and they're when you when we go back to your statement about hey that they're using that as part of the reason for why uh, properties are going up in value. Well, it's there's supply demand narrative for rentals, especially in high demand areas, people are gonna complain the most about what they want the most. So if you've bought a good Airbnb property in Tampa and you're closer to downtown or closer to the beach, of course, people are gonna be upset that more and more of that's turning into Airbnb. Um, That is part of the narrative, but not as pronounced as it seems. It's more what gets more attention. Uh, The legislation piece though is super interesting um, because if you're buying something, underwriting it for Airbnb math, and then you have no fair market rent consideration on the bottom in case something goes wrong, Uh, those properties are either going to get sold at a fire sale, they're going to get lost. And then that's going to take those neighborhoods or those condominium complexes and kind of move them backwards. So one thing I would say to be aware of is um, midterm rentals, if you can kind of pivot in there just as an investment strategy piece are going to go well, but let's go back to when we were talking about equity rich capital. Um, one thing we didn't talk very much about, but we brought this up a lot on, on our, our social auto spaces on Dream Team, is institutional acquisition. Um, the strongest neighborhoods, the strongest cities, um, Wall Street's appetite to have single family houses has never been this robust Um, they have a strong appetite for that we're watching them pause right now but that's just because I think they're just waiting for things to adjust Um, most of those teams that I'm aware of haven't been disassembled they're just on pause Um, so they're doing some kind of house cleaning items while they wait for the market to readjust and they're going to have um, you know, they're probably going to go right back into where they were going back into before and they're going to go on a buying spree. Um, they're not stupid. So their numbers are telling them that, that a lot of these markets are pausing and that uh, the values are dropping a little bit where they want to be. So they're going to take advantage of that. Um, they also might be trying to figure out how to raise in their capital stack uh, a little bit better, um, you know, rates. Or, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do. I've talked to a lot of them over the last several months, but not over the last several weeks to see how they're pivoting the strategy, but they're just not buying like they were. So if you look at equity rich capital coming into popular areas, if you look at just regular people wanting to take advantage of low interest rates in their backyard and buy something, if you look at um, institutional acquisition and if you look at investor activity, just on a you know people that are buying two to 20 properties have, has increased dramatically. Um, those are a lot of things that uh, those people are competing against, which in those particular neighborhoods and areas have pushed prices up. Um, and then you have a lot of people that are buying lifestyle investments, you know, that second home, that third home, um, whether it's just for personal use or whether there's some sort of social impact um, that they want to do it with. A lot of people went out and bought properties for their kids uh, that they didn't care as much about that before. But they saw in certain neighborhoods, in certain situations, you know, uh, inventory just disappearing and they were worried about their kids being able to move back and live close to you know, mom and dad so that grandma and grandpa could have access to their grandkids. So we, all of those categories saw a dramatic increase. Um, and we've spent many, many, many hours and many conversations during Corona. And now more strategically, you know, I'm a master admin in Burr with Joseph Scree. So we talk about this stuff from time to time, Main Street to Wall Street, Dream Team, Twitter spaces. I usually pretty much just go to Green Candle Investments because I trust Brandon's insight and decorum on how he runs a stage. And I follow Bobby J. and Neely over there. So I'm very picky about where I want to keep company, but when I do, I want to make sure that there's collaborative um, and intelligent insight, and and we're sharing information so that we're all, you know, kind of casting a better, uh, what we'll call a less foggy crystal ball, I guess, right, as far as what's going to happen for real estate or stocks or anything out there that impacts us.
0: Yeah, for sure, and, you know, I agree with you 100% there, right? I mean, I think the uh, the uh, you know, the sharing of information from people that have boots on the ground and that are experts in their field really can't be undermined in this scenario, especially when it comes to real estate, because everything is, you know, so regional and can be different from market to market and everything like that. It's really hard to get like a full grasp on things because, like I said, it's, it varies from market to market. But, you know, we we are kind of having this this banking crisis kind of go on right now in, in a lot of regional banks. Um, so you know, I'm not, I'm not quite sure. I, I don't know if I, I prepped it for this one or anything like that, but do you think that that's going to affect kind of some of the lending practices that we have, uh, you know, for houses, whether it's personal mortgage or some uh, something for, you know, maybe some, uh, some rental properties or something along those lines?
1: You know, what's interesting is I guys asked Brandon to pop into a small little stage the other day and put them on replays so that this question that was coming up over and over again in some of our social audio spaces in the clubhouse could be addressed and i knew that you know i saw neely and actually sholmo um listening on twitter spaces to what was going on with jerome powell's speech for you know three hours and i thought i'm going to have brandon come in here and give us a little recap of what he heard i hadn't had chance except for what i'd seen in highlights and some texts and twitters back and forth between colleagues hadn't really had a chance to go listen and break it all down And um, so I was just as curious myself to see what he was going to say. And he did a really good job of that. And then Brandon and I were just talking about this the other day. And then right afterwards, uh, you know, we had the global global banking situation just uh, really come into question. Right. Um, And what I the next day, um, there's a guy, um, Mr. De Silva who is uh, very qualified and educated in the, in the London spaces of raising capital equity. And he came in and kind of explained uh, to a lot of people what was going on, what the danger was. And I thought it was fascinating um, because he understood the American banking system well, because, you know, he's in and out of investments with it and clients that hold funds in their, you know, in, in uh, American banks. To have someone from a London perspective, really kind of break down what he was seeing. And one of the things that I took out of that, that was indifferent from a lot of the other narratives was that even though there's different reasons on how we got here, um, I just started to hear something that just resembled parts of the global financial crisis. And it wasn't that we haven't learned a lot. It wasn't that we're in the exact same position. We know from real estate side why things are different, but it was the same narrative as far as banks collapsing. You know, I used to do a lot of, uh, business with, uh, we used to have plaques on our wall for how much business we did with Aurora Loan Services, who was a division of Lehman Brothers. And when you look back at what happened to say, you know, Countrywide or, uh, WAMU, it's kind of easy to understand why they had problems. But when you look back at Lehman Brothers, I mean, they really should have been able to have been bought for way more than they were bought for, you know, um, it's not necessarily for what they might've wanted. Um, and this is where I've been teaching a lot of my people and the mastermind people to go back and watch the big Short, because for as many things that are different about the global financial crisis, it's funny how recently in the last two weeks, we might be going towards the same end. I don't think we'll get there, and I don't think it'll be as chaotic as it was before. But gosh, you, you know, who thought three weeks ago, Brandon, that, you know, the 16th largest bank or wherever it placed, along with several others. And now they're talking about all the others that have books that are, you know, uh, in the same Economic narrative Who would have thought that they were, uh, you know, so close to something that would just create a run in the bank and create all the problems that it's created? It's definitely something that we have to be aware of. I think one of the reasons that the strategy that we've been focusing on for a lot of our investors and for myself and other clients, um, and we're dialing it in into it deeper because I want to go to vendor rents, those there's, there's a huge shorting supply, there's a guy. Uh, Brian, that we I've become good buddies with um, on Clubhouse last several months, and that's their whole focus, right? They've created a a fund and a prop tech uh, to kind of identify these markets, identify these neighborhoods, and he always talks about the seven million uh, housing deficiency that's out there, plus uh, for um, affordable housing, and how much of that can be funded uh, by Section 8, Um, so uh, or things like Section 8. So I think that that's. Those are spaces that won't impact our investors, and we're kind of sticking to this playbook. I think your legacy neighborhoods have a lot of solvency. Um, when you look at a B, B-plus neighborhood, you've got a lot of people in there that have good jobs or that own their houses or that have uh, good equity in their houses. And so, um, you know, I know in Colorado specifically, uh, some of my B, B-plus neighborhoods that I was really a big fan of, you know, they dipped anywhere from four or five, um, in best case, worst case, eight to 12% from their market value during the global financial crisis. And some of the C, C plus neighborhoods took a hit of 60, 70, 80% as far as their value goes. So if those narratives were to come close or to look the same, um, again, who as far as um, who's in the market on the real estate side, um, who suffers from that, what cities suffer from that, When we go to this backdrop of, you know, what cities are in, you know, negative growth, no growth, okay goods, you know, strong growth markets, um, all those things are gonna factor in. So you might have hardly any B, B plus neighborhoods in Denver get hit. You might see some of the C, C minus and C plus neighborhoods get hit. Um, But if I were to take that same narrative over to say uh, Cincinnati, um, that would be a rougher narrative. If I were to take it to St. Louis, be even a rougher narrative. Um, You would have actually some B neighborhoods getting impacted um, because there's a certain domino effect that goes with the neighborhoods next to you. Um, You can have what's called a socioeconomic frontier where, you know, there's dramatic value difference, like one side of the street, 50, the other side of the street, $150,000. But when they're next to each other, the banks don't always know how to break down those zip codes and exactly where those socioeconomic frontiers are. So more often than not in a market like this, The neighborhood next to the good neighborhood pulls that neighborhood down. And um, so that's just something to be aware of, not just for rents, but for appreciation and for, you know, just if you're trying to calculate uh, your net worth, I mean, that's going to take a hit. So all those things kind of matter.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I mean, you know, obviously, like majority of homes are and uh, homes around the country have some some way, shape or form, you know, some debt to a bank that that is, uh, you know, in turn owned by that. And then, you know, all these factors, you know, that kind of factor into housing just kind of all lead back. But it seems like housing is kind of a lagging indicator um, when it comes to just the overall macro environment now. You know, I, I've kind of discussed with you on, on other platforms that I thought that the Fed was not going to raise or stop raising interest rates throughout the rest of the year, whether that's, you know, they raise next meeting, they kind of go through a pause, um, but they kind of continue to raise and they don't really pull back until 2024. Well, at that point, I didn't know that the banking system might be <laughs> last thing around us, so I don't really know what to, to, to think now, Um and I'm a kind of... Uh, kind of curious to see how you think that the rest of the, the housing market is going to play out the rest of the year, um, you know, kind of based on that, you know, maybe there's some of that inserts. Do you think, you know, more people might kind of flock uh, towards, you know, housing as it's been rumored or they've been discussions around potentially injecting $2 trillion back into a back of liquidity to kind of help bail out some of these banks? Um, do you think that that, you know, will potentially Reinflate some of these housing uh, housing markets, or um, do you? Th- and uh, yeah, I mean, I guess like I, I'm not really sure like if that policy will, you know, cause housing to reinflate. But if with that, you know, injection, if. Jerome Powell and the Fed will kind of continue raising interest rates, how that will all play out. I mean, I'm just kind of curious as to what you think, uh, you know, for the overall housing market for their, I guess, the rest of the outlook of uh, 2023. I know it's a tough question to kind of pull out your crystal ball, but um, and, and a lot's happened in the past week, to say the very least. So uh, on that note, like how are you kind of feeling about the rest of the year and uh, what are some of the things that you're looking at?
1: Well, it's funny because for 18 to 24 months, we were watching dramatic appreciation impact most of the markets across the USA um, that were uh, the strongest growth markets. There's a lot of good comeback markets. You know, I think Cincinnati and Cleveland um, are good comeback markets. I think Kansas City is a good comeback market. Um, But there's reasons why I'm not mentioning Toledo. Um, I think Nashville is doing really well, but there's reasons why I'm not mentioning Memphis. Um, because uh, a state alone can't just pull a city um, out of the disrepair um, that it's been in for a long time. Um, you know, in, in Michigan, Detroit is such a mixed bag of tricks, but as you get out to places like uh, battle Creek um, you have a lot more problems in battle Creek than you do right down the road in Kalamazoo, which both kind of sit over in that Southwestern quarter. And I think that, you know, Like everything, the biggest problem with real estate and the biggest advantage to these social audio spaces is we record late. And even when we record, we're reacting off of um, market sentiment that in best case is 30 to 60 days old. Um, So when the market's shifting dramatically and you have a precipitous fall or the potential for a precipitous drop in value um, or when the market's going up, you're never really able to measure until after the fact. Uh, where the height of the value is and where the bottom of the value is. And as a result of that, um, it becomes, you know, the most difficult 800-pound gorilla in the economic uh, uh, narrative to to predict. But um, I do feel like um, there's places where you can just protect yourself um, in the current market. And one of the things that I would just say in general is, don't go for the best return in real estate. Go for the best property um, that has safety net in a worst case scenario and has upside, upside in the best case scenario. So let's just say that you were buying a property and I'm just going to pick um, Alabama, okay? Um, and you're buying something in a decent little city in Alabama and uh, you see that the fair market rent rate will give you a decent return. Like nothing spectacular, but maybe six and a half to nine and a half, 10%. But if you do a little midterm rental, you're gonna create a great return in the high teens to low 20s. Um, and you have to make sure that that investment uh, and that investment plan line up with your life. And you know that you have a proper management um, team or that you're gonna have a proper management strategy yourself to do that. Um, you've put yourself where you know what you're Uh, worst case situation is fair market rent. I get six and a half to seven and a half percent or more. Um, If I'm able to do a midterm rent, okay. If anything goes wrong, I bought some furniture. Uh, I put a couple tenants in there for 60 days to six months. I either don't like doing it or I'm not making enough money. So I lower my prices. Uh, But then I see if one of my tenants wants to go long-term or I go to long-term. I'm just protecting myself because the one thing about real estate is it's a long game. You know, as much people do it for the short game, some people make a lot of money. It's funny how many of the people in the short game are out of the game um, after two to five years because they just can't sustain that momentum that they took advantage of during some sort of magical market moment or market trend uh, that happened, whether it was timing or location that they jumped into. Um, or they get too greedy or they don't balance things. But real estate always pans out. You know, you're leveraging the bank's money. It's cheap money. Uh, you're creating equity over time. You can work the margin of the cash flow. So if people don't get greedy right now and they just sit somewhere where they can get a safe, good return, but have upside i think that's the best way to play the market you see something that if things go well you can have upside and upside can come to you in one of two ways now like creating a midterm situation instead of a short term which i feel like is way too volatile for most people and a little bit better return than a long term so that might be targeting a traveling nurse or an engineer that's come to town um or you can sit there and say okay i know that i'm not getting great uh, margins today, but I know rates are going to go down. Nobody thinks they're going to go, Nobody smart, thinks they're going to go to where they were before, but they are going to go down. And then when the market turns, if I'm in a really strong neighborhood, I'll probably see some good things go in my favor as far as appreciation and cash flow. If I can leverage those things, those narratives, whether I'm going for kind of more of a blue collar, government fixed income rate rent, or whether I'm going for a stronger neighborhood, um, I'll be good. I really feel like in some parts of the country, the B minus, the C plus, a lot of the things below the C, you have to be aware of but if you have a strong sustainable c plus neighborhood and a strong msa or a good growth msa or even a a, a no growth msa but you just it's been c plus for 20 years it'll probably be c plus for another 10 years and a lot of times it's a one car garage neighborhood um, where a lot of people own their houses you know those things are going to be fine
0: but what about when it comes to like multi-family because it seems like to me that um, you know, you kind of describe that the neighborhood outlook and, and how that's going to go. But, um, you know, I guess generally speaking, maybe this is just anecdotal, but I, I know some of my friends that are, you know, maybe we're, we're thinking about buying. But now that they're seeing the interest rates go up, their narrative is, oh, well, we don't want to we don't want to pay these high interest rates. So instead of going to, you know, maybe a single family home or even you know renting a home, they're like, well, we could get a nicer apartment anyway because we were looking at you know potentially making a big down payment. Now we're going to put that off and just have that money kind of sit in the bank. So they're looking at more of I don't know maybe B to B plus or maybe even A uh, some some of these apartment complexes. So you know, do you think that that's going to be kind of I guess more of a common thing, or do you think that's maybe just like an anecdotal situation that we've got here in a, in a bigger city that you know has a lot of development going on?
1: Well, small multifamily really stops at four. In my book, by management and scale, it kind of stops somewhere in the teens to 20s. Um, and I don't specialize in a lot of stuff over 50 except for to see by evaluating that LP position if a client should be placing a chunk of change into a syndication to see if it's going to go well. Um, gosh, I don't know how to summarize an answer for your question. Uh but I will say that, um, if I, again, if I took a certain person in a certain part of the country, I would probably get a very different answer. Um, and that same person um, in the same financial position might do things differently in different cities because I don't think it's lost on people how um, their city is compared to other cities around the country in what we will say, the middle class and upper middle class space. Okay. Um, sometimes in the blue collar space, they've had an anecdotal experience, or maybe they um, moved around the country if their father was a trucker or in the military. Um, but for a lot of the middle class and upper middle class, you know, so many people are not, you know, we're, we're 40, 50 years removed from the predominant amount of people go to college in state, stay somewhere close to home and live within hours of their original birthplace. That that trend keeps going down more and more. So more and more people have friends from college and life that live in other cities. And, and it's not lost on you if you're in Kansas City why maybe Ann Arbor, Michigan is a better market. Um, it's not lost on you. Um, if you're in Florida um, that your friend's freezing his butt off in Pittsburgh in the middle of winter. So um, I think they're able to sit there and say, well, because I'm in this kind of a market in that kind of city, I think I should be doing this. And if there's anything that we could do today and in future conversations is continue to bring light to people on what's different about your geography and your personal financial situation and the macro um, place of the of the. Of the, of the economy right now that that should be changing how you buy, when you buy and what you buy, you know? So uh, anyway, I don't, I'm, I'm still perplexed in uh, a lot of thoughts about that last question, but if you wanted to dial on something more specific, I guess I could try to give you a more specific answer, but I don't know that, that that's there's, a lot of thoughts are coming to my head as, as we have this conversation and as you ask that question. Go ahead.
0: Yeah, no, no worries. I know that was kind of broad and just like an anecdotal kind of uh, you know note that I have there. But you know, I guess what what is your strategy kind of going into the rest of the year? Are you going to still buy? Are you kind of uh, you know are you going to allow us to peel back the curtain a little bit? Like, how are you kind of prepping for you know the potential of, of this unknown?
1: I think it's a good year to buy one or two properties and it's a great year to prepare to buy two or three next year for the average investor out there who's using Burr strategy. Um limiting beliefs and information and good guidance are what keep most people back from doing any sort of main street investing at scale. So, you know, find good information, you know, get into uh, your rooms, you know, you guys are always asking good questions. I love sharing stages with, you know, you and David and um uh, Neely and Bobby, because, um, I'm not just usually, um, I'm coming out of there learning something I don't have time to learn all the stock strategies of the world that you guys could employ or bond strategies, but I definitely love when there's an intersection and I can learn something from you guys. And there's something I have to share that might be valuable. Um, I guess the secret sauce this year would just be a rewind back to where I was telling you guys earlier, you know, um, I really feel like the slow growth and the okay growth markets are going to do really well this year. They still give good cash flow yield. They've been able to stabilize better than they were, say, 10 years ago or five years ago. Um, they got some of the 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 really fair market um, appraised value due that they were due. Um, they, you know, you had a lot of places like uh, where my kids live and where I have properties, and I live about a third of the year in West Michigan where, I mean, you were just buying great houses in great neighborhoods for $130,000 three, four years ago. It just wasn't gonna last because great neighborhoods and great school districts with you know, decent amenities not being in the middle of nowhere. Um, you know, you're 45 minutes from Grand Rapids, that MSA there is a hundred thousand. You can still find things like a Texas Roadhouse, the little mall there is kind of sad, but um, you, know, you can find things like we, they just had a Chipotle come into the backyard. They just had a Chick-fil-A come into the backyard. So I look for some of those national strong corporate trends that are always growing when everybody else isn't. Um, Chick Fil A is a great example, um, and I sit there and say, okay, if that market, you know, like so over there, for example, in a nice neighborhood, um, that hundred twenty thousand to hundred eighty thousand dollar house has moved to like $30 on the hundred eighty side, and the $120, 130 has moved into like the $180, $20,0. 000. I still feel like there's another ten to thirty percent that that that's going to capture over the next two to five years so if i wanted that appreciation and being able to have cash flow there would be things to consider there Uh, i'm not going to tell you it's easy as easy to uh, manage properties in michigan as it is in uh, colorado and personally for me there's two things there's equity stakes of clients that i'm working with because that's going to go well but i've not hidden from any of my community or my social media how rough corona was Now. Corona was preceded by divorce, so that never goes well no matter what happens. But in tandem with corona, it made it difficult. And I'll speak to a lot of landlords out there who, because of things that were put in place to them, you know, back to blue states especially, um, heavy, heavy landlord um, policies that were either short term or even might even be considered they're going to do a long term that were put over them to restrict them from being able to do what they needed to do, uh, the tier two landlord and some of the tier one landlords and a lot of the tier three landlords. So that's, who's getting started out. That's who's been doing it for several years and has several properties. Uh, that's who has a bunch of properties and they've owned and they have good income, but they don't have enough to offset all of the woes of their, they've gotten beaten up and there's 15, 20, 30% of them. And the government has done little to nothing to help them. Um, but yet their, their role is so important as far as being steward over people's living. Right. So, um, that's a rough situation. There's a lot of stuff that I was supposed to be doing last couple of years that I couldn't, either because the government did allow it or because the capital wasn't accessible. And now I have to get all that going now that we're coming out of Corona. So I feel for that person. I am that person, but I have clients in all different places. So
0: that's awesome stuff and that's this's been a great discussion on the overall just kind of you know all different different aspects of real estate and kind of how that's affecting the you know greater economy and you know the consumer and everybody you know whether it's the banks ra- raising interest rates the banks collapsing you know Airbnb long term renter all those kind of things how they're intertwined with the economy so uh, on that note, Shane, for those who are maybe looking to connect or listen to you in some of these spaces or some of these, uh, you know, audio things on, on Clubhouse, what is the best way to find you?
1: <laughs> That's funny, actually. I'm gonna try to uh, hold up. Let me grab something real quick, Brandon, because I don't have it on me when I rolled off earlier. But one thing, um, you know, on Clubhouse, it is Shane LTM. Um, my full name is Shane Lee. Hi, Tulonga Um Polynesians don't have short names. Uh, maybe that's why we have big shoulders so we can wear them in the back of our football pads. At least that's what the, com- the, comedy, uh, the comedian Sinpad told us one time when we were at the Cotton Bowl. Um, so LTM just makes it a lot easier. Um, and you can find a lot of those handles. I'm going to grab, maybe I should just, if I get this to you offline, you could post it or something afterwards or something, couldn't you?
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I okay. can, I'm in the show notes as well your yeah Shane LTM on clubhouse Shane five um, two eight zero one on Twitter Twitter uh, yeah. and uh, yeah I see that you have real estate real estate in your Twitter bio as well uh, but I know you're active more active on Instagram is that right you are, um I need to be I
1: was um, I've got a great strategist Monica van Lanningham and I just need to kind of Tune in and get her more content. Um, yeah, my director of community for virtual stuff is Melissa. And then we have a new a campaign called Genesis. And I have a director of Genesis named Jill. Lovely uh, realtor you guys want to get to know in uh, for all things Missouri. Um, she does a lot of stuff in Joplin and Columbia. And you've gotten to meet her too as well, Brandon. You know, I would say the most five common places to find me are Main Street to Wall Street Dream Team, Burr Stages, and Green Candle Investment. Like, I spend 85 to 90% of my time on Twitter, wherever Brandon's at, or Neely, or Bobby J, or someone like that is at. So if I'm coming over to Twitter, it's somewhere where I recognize, or I know the conversation's going to be good. And uh, I'm going to appreciate what's going on. And I do apologize. Sometimes, guys, I pop in, and I only have 20 minutes or an hour. But um, there's a lot going on. But I also plan on coming back here with Brandon and doing some more of these. I will get a better camera situation figured out. I'll get a better outfit and everything for TV, or maybe I'll just put this hair up in a man bun so it's not bugging me the whole time. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, there's 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 a lot of cool stuff, you know. Corona with social audio brought an amazing uh, book to uh, people to get to know and to collaborate and have these kinds of conversations with. Um, it also brought you know, some baby fat back. I picked up, uh, yeah. you know, three or four sack of potatoes. I, uh, it was too much of a temptation coming back to my favorite Deborah restaurants. They're good food and they're cheap. The best ones are usually cheap. Some of them. And then, man, Tampa, you know, uh, we were just talking the other day. Uh, uh, what was that called over there? It's not the Columbia. It's a huge, uh, yeah. restaurant.
0: Yeah. Columbia is that. It is the-
1: right. The- right. Yeah. Over there
0: in uh, um uh, in ybor city yeah ybor like, city yeah so yeah. if you guys uh, are ever in tampa you should check out columbia i get the 1905 salad they come and make it in front of you and then you know you can't go wrong with like any of the dishes there so um yeah right. i always i always bring people out of town into that one because it's so historic i think they even have like a a cellar down there from when uh it was like prohibition times where they would like kind of be uh, easy you know, yeah. i love that
1: yeah, yeah. um Todd uh, Vila, a good friend of mine, uh, came up from Bonita Springs and took me there. And um, the other thing, there was a great barbecue place in downtown Tampa. That was kind of over close to the, isn't the, one of the stadiums or things that are sponsored by the tropical um, orange yeah. juice or something like that?
0: Yeah, yeah. so that's Tropicana Field in uh, St. Petersburg. So if there's a good barbecue in downtown St. Pete, I don't really know about it. So, I mean, I, I grew up in Austin, and uh, I went to school in Memphis, and then now I'm here, so uh, I'm not going to lie to you. I haven't found the best barbecue here, so I don't want to trash anybody, but I haven't had that one if it's uh, close to Tropicana, because I am in Tampa, so Tropicana is out in uh, St. Petersburg.
1: Yeah, and this was, we were down in St. Pete, uh, Chris Delaney, a good, uh, a good clubhouse acquaintance of mine that I've gotten to know well, was out of town but when I came to Tampa, but he was able to give me a list um, he's been doing a lot of cool things, a lot of small businesses, and he had a really good list of, of places. And so, yeah, it hasn't, you know, I can't exactly say, uh, Brandon, that as I've traveled to these 70 different Metro cities over the last two years that I have always been picking the salad on the menu.
0: Right so. <laughs> I do recommend the 1905 one just because of the experience they make it in front of you. And honestly, like, I think it's delicious. So. It's a good yeah. starter, but, you know, you got to get the starter. Then you got to get the hefty, the hefty meal, whether it's the paella or something like that there for sure.
1: Oh, well, I, it was it was so cool to take up that whole block. But, uh, yeah, between bad restaurants and really messing up my knee uh, last year, which is feeling better now. I wasn't walking and the gyms were closed down. It was like the perfect storm. So yeah. um, to all the single cute ladies, uh, give me another several months and I'll get back on <laughs> Look better in the video. But uh, no, good stuff, brother. I don't do these very often, but uh, I I, I just, you know, for all of you that are listening that are coming over because of me, if there's a couple dozen of you that do that, uh, this is just a good kid. And he is smart and he's sharp and he has a strong, uh, intense quest to understand uh, what makes the world tick and economically how we all benefit or should be aware of what's going on there. So good stuff, brother. I appreciate it.
0: Thank you so much. I, I really appreciate the kind words. And yeah, so if you guys uh, want to catch Shane in one of these rooms or something like that, I'll be putting all his links in the show notes and in the comments on YouTube. So be sure to check him out and uh, give him a follow and uh, bug him and ask some real estate questions. Cause he's uh, I found one of the most knowledgeable that I've talked to. So Shane, thanks so much, brother.
1: Hey, if we hold up.
0: All right. I'll hold up one second for like,
1: for like 10 seconds. I'll try to show you guys. Um, It's called Wonderlist on Airbnb if you guys want a cool place to come check out. Yeah. yeah. If you're uh, I I don't know. Guys, the one thing Brandon knows, like a lot of people, is I'm not tech savvy on this stuff. Anyway, can you see that in the background?
0: Oh, yeah. That's beautiful. If you're uh, listening on the audio, you got to go check out the YouTube to see the end where Shane is showing us (laughs) where he has a full view of downtown uh, Denver.
1: Well, and not just, just only come to the end, guys, because there's nothing special about me unless you want to see Mr. Q. Brandon. But if you you do look at Rhino, guys, you know, look at just this neighborhood. How many cranes? You know, right now, there's seven. Last summer, there was 11. There's two over there you can't see behind.
0: So can you see that, Brandon? Yeah, I can see it.
1: Yeah, and it's just the way this neighborhood has gone from an old industrial warehouse district into just kind of the next coolest thing since sliced bread. You know, yeah, we got some homeless things and we got lots of things we could work through as a community, but there's cool stuff going on in Denver. There's cool stuff going on in Kansas City. Everywhere I go, there's cool stuff going on. But don't let cool sway you from your basic investor math and understanding uh, what you need to do as far as, you know, your investment strategy. And pay attention to everything because the reason I like going there Brandon is because stocks and, and you know, all these other factors, they impact what you're doing as far as real estate and everything else. So yeah, yeah. Like I should have been here a- the whole time, brother. I was worried the other day we came outside and... Um, I was worried there was going to be too much wind in the background, but it actually ended up being great. I should have been up here and just highlighted the city the whole time.
0: Yeah, it's awesome stuff. So, everybody go check out Shane, Shane LTM on Clubhouse and uh, Twitter and all that kind of stuff. And I'll be talking about that in the show notes. So, Shane, you Sounds good, brother. We'll catch you later.